0: Welcome to the Rapid Response Podcast, brought to you by the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America, SHEA, promoting the prevention of healthcare-associated infections and antibiotic resistance and seeking to advance the field of healthcare epidemiology and antibiotic stewardship. I am Dr. David Bannock from the University of Connecticut, and I will serve as your moderator for today's podcast. Discussion on the podcast does not reflect SHEA's perspective, but facilitates communication of multiple perspectives and experiences as we go through this challenging time together. She is excited to launch this episode of the podcast, COVID-19 Updates, What We Know Now. Today's discussion will focus on international perspectives in Latin America. Our speaker today is Dr. Maria Clara Podovezzi, an associate professor at the School of Nursing, University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. She is currently the vice president of the Brazilian Association of Professionals in Hospital Epidemiology and Infection Prevention. Thank you for joining us today. Before we start our discussion, I would like to turn it over to Dr. Cindy Prins to get us started with a brief news and guidance update from the week.
1: This week, the world surpassed 1 million deaths from COVID-19 with 206,000 of those deaths in the US. Several reports were posted as early releases in the MMWR this week. In the first of those, changing age distribution of the COVID-19 pandemic, United States, May to August, 2020, authors examined the shift in age trends for COVID-19-like illness ED visits, positive SARS-CoV-2 RT-PCR test results, and confirmed cases of COVID-19. Nationally, they noted a shift in the median age of confirmed COVID-19 cases, from a median of 46 in May to a median of 38 in August, and also noted that from June to August, incidence was highest among those aged 20 to 29 years. Of note, in HHS Regions 4, 6, and 9, which include states in the southeast, south-central, and southwest of the U.S., the shift in percent positivity in the 20- to 39-year-old group was followed an average of 8.7 days later by a change to an upward slope in those aged 60 and older, with this being most evident in the southeast but notable in each region authors concluded that younger adults contributed to transmission in the community of COVID-19 to older adults. In another report, authors looked at COVID-19 trends among school-aged children in the United States from March 1st to September 19, 2020. During this time period, the average weekly incidence of COVID-19 in the 12 to 17 year age group was double that of the five to 11 year age group. For school-aged children who were hospitalized, had at least one underlying condition, while for those who were admitted to an ICU, it was 27%. And for those who died, 28% had at least one underlying condition. Chronic lung disease was the most frequently reported underlying condition overall. Demographically, of all cases reported in the five to 17 year age group, 50.8% were female. For those who had data on race and ethnicity, 17% were non-Hispanic black, 32% were non-Hispanic White, and 42% were Hispanic Latino. 5% of cases in the 5-17 to year age group reported no symptoms, 58% reported at least one symptom, and data was missing or unknown for 37%. 1.2% of children in this age group were hospitalized, 1 tenth of a percent were admitted to an ICU, and one hundredth of a percent died. And finally, COVID-19 vaccine candidates continued to be in the news. The New England Journal of Medicine published an article looking at the response in older adults to the Moderna mRNA-1273 vaccine candidate. The authors reported mild to moderate side effects in the 40-person trial with age groups 56 to 70 years and greater than 71 years. Compared to the 25-microgram dose, the 100-microgram dose induced higher binding and neutralizing antibody titers, and the authors concluded that these immune responses in these groups were similar to those in the 18- to 55-year-old recipients. Johnson & Johnson reported that they began their Phase 3 trial of their adenovirus vaccine. They planned for 60,000 study participants age 18 and older to be enrolled in seven countries to test the single-dose vaccine.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Prinz. Let's move into the discussion with Dr. Potovesi. So Dr. Potevesi, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. I'm interested in hearing some of your experiences in Brazil. We've had a lot of discussions on the United States experience, and we most recently had discussion with Dr. Tambaya about his experience in Singapore. I think it's really helpful for us to hear about how others throughout the world are experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic. Today we're interested in hearing about your experience in Brazil. I was hoping you could give us Sort of an overview as to where things stand right now with regard to COVID-19, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the recent months of how the pandemic hasn't unfolded, has unfolded in uh, Brazil.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. The current situation in Brazil, well, in terms of our official numbers, it shows nearly five million cases with 140,000 deaths, unfortunately. These cases were spread over the country with large number in the Southeast region because this is the most populated region. And however, in the Northeast and North regions, we also have a higher number of cases. Regarding deaths per 100,000 inhabitants, the highest mortality rate occurred so far in the North regions. Although the number of newer cases are slightly declining, it's still too early to say that the curve is completely going down in the country.
0: So thanks for sharing that. I'm pleased to hear that you're seeing declining rates in uh, your country, although uh, here in the United States we've seen that, but we are still uh, maintaining a lot of caution with what the future might look like and kind of making our preparations. So can you take us back to the early months of the pandemic, like around maybe January through March, when things were starting to unfold throughout the globe, and you know, that was when we started to see cases here in the United States. But when we go back to that time, could you kind of walk us through what uh, Brazil's experience was in the early months of the pandemic, both in terms of where cases started to appear, but then also what the country's response was to those early cases?
2: So we have the first case detected in Brazil uh, on 25th February in São Paulo state. As you know, January and February are vacation periods, so we receive lots of visitors as well, people go abroad. So an uh, individual that came uh, from Italy, come to Brazil, is a Brazilian uh, person. So we cannot say this is what the index case, uh, because we have all this exchange. But uh, since then, we begin to have cases. So after that, uh, at least I may say, uh, we have a variety of behavior uh, in the country. Because this, you know, uh, Brazil is a federation, and the states and cities have relative autonomy to decide about health measures. So, at least I may say you that uh, the government in the São Paulo state uh, delivered a decree uh, about the closure of non-essential activities and the restriction of public transport from. 22nd March. And furthermore, a second decree from May 4th made the use of face mask communities in community settings mandatory, and this is still like the same. And there are at least two studies that have demonstrated the beneficial effect of this disclosure in the reduction of deaths. But regarding the impact of the use of masks in the community, it is still not demonstrated. We also have several guidelines delivered by the national regulation agents, especially related to healthcare facility management of COVID-19.
0: So it sounds like the initial cases were sort of localized into one specific area. Was that in urban area, and then how did the spread proceed from those initial cases? Was it still fairly local in a specific region, or did it start to spread very quickly throughout the entire country?
2: Now, in the early times of the epidemic, the cases occurred uh, mostly in large cities, in capitals, But as the progress of the epidemic cases went to the inner part of the country, so today we are uh, having a spread situation. So, of course, this is natural because people are more in the agglomeration, crowded people in large cities.
0: So we had the same experience here in the United States, certainly uh, in the early phases these cities were the main focus of infections and we saw the highest rates of infections in some of the largest cities and then as time has unfolded we've seen more cases spread out to suburban and even more rural areas in the country now it's interesting that you mention that brazil's composition is sort of several different states within the country that's something that in the united states has posed somewhat of a challenge a lot of the decisions regarding the public health response measures have been delegated to the states, so each state was able to make its own decisions about masking, about whether certain activities would be allowed, whether certain types of buildings and facilities would be closed or not. And that was somewhat of a challenge in that there was not a uniformity across all the states. Can you speak to Brazil a little bit in that regard? whether all of the different states within Brazil responded in the same way or whether there was a lot of difference between the different states and the way that they responded.
2: So, the states respond differently, as you know, Brazil is a country, a continental country, with marked social inequality and social cultural heterogeneity as well. So this is not only about the the different response in different states, but also we have several differences and inequality is uh, huge in the country in many states so we do not have a unique response we have several responses depending on the state and sometimes depending on the city as well because the cities they have also relative autonomy and they are delegated to do mostly the public health measures
0: Okay that's interesting sounds like some similarity with our response here in the United States.
2: Yeah 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 there are similarities of course each state have their own way of dealing with things. So my experience is pretty much more linked to the Sao Paulo state health measures.
0: So can you speak maybe a little bit specific to Sao Paulo but with regard to how the community responded to these recommendations things like masking limiting large groups, activities, what was the general response of the community once these measures were starting to be implemented? Was the community accepting of them? Was there variation in the way that communities responded? Can you sort of reflect on some of that experience?
2: Well, this is a very good question because, again, this is highly variable depending on the regions and cities. So the mm-hmm. acceptation for example of mask use varies a lot, but I can say that overall people are masking themselves most of the time. Something that uh, is necessary to think about is how much relevant is the use of masks as the main protective measure in poor communities where access to water, hygiene products, and physical distance is not a possibility. So there are different uh, possibilities of measures for different people due to the inequality in the country. And also, the crowded public transport is a huge challenge for many people, including healthcare workers, that have to spend significant amount of time in the public transport, mainly in large cities such as São Paulo. And besides, you know, people using masks, they seem to to feel comfortable, and sometimes they are neglecting other uh, measures such as hand hygiene, and uh, physical distances. So this is a very complex uh, situation, especially in this context of social inequality.
0: I think that's a really great point. It certainly shows that even if there are some principles that should guide responses, really the importance of individualizing responses to specific communities and being aware of the whole picture for each of these communities in terms of what the biggest challenges are really important and it sounds like in Brazil that's been uh, really highlighted given how different certain communities are in terms of their social and demographic and uh, living conditions are uh, are very variable so i think i think that's a really good point that we should all be thinking about in terms of how to best respond to the needs of uh, the country and the community
2: yeah
0: i'm interested in hearing about the experience of hospitals in brazil you know here in the united states We've seen certainly some challenges within healthcare settings and hospitals specifically. Initially, there were challenges with testing availability, and then uh, the subsequent challenges were in uh, PPE, the personal protective equipment, supplying that uh, you know, became a very difficult situation. But I'm interested in hearing how the hospitals in Brazil and maybe even specifically within Sao Paulo, what kind of challenges arose within the healthcare system and how the healthcare community responded to those challenges.
2: Okay, thank you. So in terms of um, Brazil, you know, we have the Health National Regulatory Agency, Anvisa. So in general, they deliver guidelines, evidence-based guidelines. So overall, we have a guideline at national level for healthcare facilities to follow. For Sao Paulo State, we also have the Hospital Infection Division that deals with guidelines specific for Sao Paulo. In general, they are very aligned in general, I'm saying, because uh, in this pandemic, uh, we have many different situations in terms of guidelines, not only in the country, but uh, I think uh, all over the world, uh, uh, many guidelines, international guidelines, and sometimes conflicting guidelines as well. So, in terms of guidelines, I think uh, we have some support at uh, both national and state level. But when it comes to PPE, of course, uh, PPE supply is not uh, only a problem for this moment. This is a long-time problem in the country, mainly in some underfunded healthcare settings. Therefore, in the first moment, this problem has extremely aggravated you. However, with mobilization of uh, healthcare workers, organization, and professional societies, many solutions were developed to minimize the problem. And even the public university had an important role of bringing up innovative solutions. For example, I can mention studies on mask reprocessing and development on low-cost face shield as example, on how to deal with problem. And uh, perhaps uh, we still having problem with PPE, but uh, I don't think uh, uh, we are now kind of um, dealing with the problem better than in the beginning, of course.
0: I think that's true across the globe. Each time that we found a challenge, we've been working to find unique solutions, things like reprocessing of mass, things that we hadn't previously considered in, uh, in terms of infection prevention practices that became necessary solutions to some of the challenges. And it sounds like some of that experience has been reflected in Brazil as well. And uh, as a way to kind of meet the needs and take care of patients in the safest way that we, that we recently can. Yeah. And I
2: would like to add about tests because this has been a challenge overall we have availability of tests of pcr uh, for pay, uh, individuals that have symptoms so overall this has not been a problem we we do not have tests for all the population but in the healthcare facility in general if someone is having symptoms we can test using pcr
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that, that testing is available for symptomatic patients. I think when we reflect on the early days when testing wasn't available, the, the challenge associated with that was tremendous. Being able to test symptomatic individuals and even moving towards kind of focused testing of asymptomatic individuals that can have a really important public health measure. I think think about the bigger picture and what the next steps might look like. So I'm interested, you know, as you reflect on the last few months. To hear what you think has happened uh, in a very positive way and maybe some areas that you think there uh, could have been lessons learned for the future. If you think about the last six months, is there something that you can reflect upon that has been a very positive thing either for your healthcare system or for the country as a whole going through the pandemic, something that you're very proud of and you think that maybe other countries can learn from?
2: Yeah I can mention that one of the most challenging part uh, of the response was to deal with the misinformation that spread faster than good quality and evidence-based information because this affects the ability of the infection prevention and control team at the healthcare setting because misinformation undermines the trust of healthcare workers in infection control team. Just to give you uh, an example, we recently performed a study using the World Health Organization research protocol to access the perception of healthcare workers regarding the local infection prevention and control procedures of COVID-19. This is study was coordinated by Dr. Anasara Levin from the University of Sao Paulo in cooperation with Hospital Infection Division in the State Health Department. We have some preliminary results showing that media probably influenced the concerns of healthcare workers. So, example, 67% of participants, healthcare workers in this study, would like to have a full body suits despite this is not a WHO or national recommendation. So it seems that media somehow affects their perception and their feeling of being protected. Besides this, most participants demonstrate that overall, they trust in their organization in in which they work, but mixed messages being delivered by different levels of governments are confusing there. So, besides providing PPE and good work conditions, delivering updated training programs and good communications are essential to mitigate the healthcare workers' concern. And this is what we are proposing to the healthcare authorities. Also, as I mentioned, these are several and conflicting guidelines. Our professional association led an initiative to assemble specialists from different areas representatives from Brazilian health uh, uh, regulatory agents and the Ministry of Health to promote an uh, interdisciplinary debate aiming to building technical scientific consensus to guide and assist healthcare workers in understanding, managing, and coping with COVID-19 pandemic. This group was denominated COVID-19 Brazil Task Force. So, I think this is a good experience. So it's a way, it's not the only solution, of course, but this is a way to deal in this so difficult waters. And this is a potential uh, lesson learned from the epidemic.
0: Thank you. I think those are such important points that we can all reflect upon. You know, communication to healthcare workers, but also to the public at large, has been a challenge and we always think about it in terms of how do we provide the most accurate information to uh, people that 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 want it and need it and i think that's been a challenge but something that we're constantly working on through different types of uh, communication methods and then you know i totally agree with your multidisciplinary approach i think when we think about how we're going to affect change in a meaningful way bringing groups of individuals with different backgrounds is really critical in order to understand how we can best develop and implement new guidelines that are going to change practice before we close i'm interested in sharing your thoughts about the future for brazil do you have any anticipation as to where things may go granted there's always going to be some uncertainty with the future is going to look like but can you share you know where things stand with the country and uh, what you're working towards at the moment thinking about the future?
2: So uh, I think it is hard to say how things can go forward uh, in terms of the the whole country, especially because uh, we are living a very difficult times in terms of uh, economical situation and also because I do not have uh, a full experience in the country. But I think uh, we have learned a lot and we are much more prepared for the next epidemic, may I say, maybe influenza. Or any other type, because we have some plans, we have in place preparedness plans that already exist and we are improving it. So I think working more on around preparedness plan is necessary because we will have other epidemics. I don't want, but this will probably happen. So we need to be better prepared. We need to be better prepared in terms of having a multidisciplinary approach, but also we need to provide more conditions for healthcare settings and healthcare workers to work on safety situation. This is, I hope uh, at least uh, this is a lessons learned for the whole country.
0: Great, thank you for sharing that. So I really want to thank you for joining the podcast. I think this has been a great discussion, and I, I think that the listeners to this podcast will be very excited to hear about uh, your experience in Brazil and some of the uh, successes that you've had and uh, thinking about the future. So thank you again for for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you a lot. Thank you for having me, and I hope this can be helpful and can I, I like the idea of sharing ideas.
0: Absolutely. So thank you very much to our speaker for sharing experiences and perspectives and a sincere thank you from Shea to all healthcare personnel for all that you are doing to respond to COVID-19. This podcast can be accessed on Shea's online education center, Learning CE, under the Rapid Response Program. You'll also find resources such as the recorded webinars, healthcare facility outbreak preparedness, and the Shea COVID-19 town halls. Additional resources available on Learning CE pertinent to this pandemic include the Shea CDC RTP and the Prevention Course in HAI Knowledge and Control Prevention Check. You can now receive 75% off SHA membership for the remainder of 2020 using the coupon code PODCAST during checkout. That concludes this episode of the Rapid Response Podcast. Thank you for tuning in.